Welcome everyone to episode 185 of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thanks for joining your usual hosts, myself and Tierra, for what is going to be just a bit of a recap on our day-to-day life since getting back from holiday. It's been roughly, I think, four weeks since getting back now. So um, we've been pretty busy with work and our own training and some interesting stuff has happened and we might get to some questions towards the end as well. Sweet. So let's get into it. Yeah, exciting stuff. So we are recording this today on Saturday, the 22nd of July, 2023. And it's been just over a month since we got back from our overseas holidays. And it's been really nice, to be honest, getting right back into our routine, almost like slipping on an old pair of shoes. It uh, feels quite familiar and comfortable and no blisters. Actually, I take that back. May have not been any blisters, but holy smokes, did the doms kind of set in those first days of training. My glutes were just in agony. <laughs> but yeah, we, we basically just got right back into normal daily life of client check-ins and our own training, content creation, a weekly fishing trip, dog walks, you name it, you know, the life that we love. But yeah, it was really because those three and a half weeks that we were gone, you and I only trained a total of six times. And we're accustomed to training five times every week with high levels of intensity and high training volumes. And going from what would have been a standard, what, 18 sessions across three and a half weeks to just down to six, getting right back into it, I know that uh, my own glutes, just those first few days, <laughs> were uh, kind of just screaming for help. And it, it just goes to show, like, it just makes you appreciate what your body really can get accustomed to in terms of just the total amount of workload and stress that you put it under from like a training perspective. Like I I know myself as a bikini athlete, like I'm training my glutes, like a little bit of volume actually every single session, because even on my upper body days, I'll do like a few hip abductions and stuff. And also daily morning posing practice too, and lots of walking and yeah, Really, I I think about it and I'm like, wow, my feet and my glutes, they are the real MVP of this whole show that's running. Mm. (laughs) But even getting back into training, like using like sub-maximal weights, I know that for a lot of my big lower body compounds, that first session back, I stripped back like by 25 kilos on like my lunges and my RDLs and they didn't even feel hard at the time. But then two days later when I went to train legs again, I did like one set of true squats and I thought that my glutes were literally about to rip off the bone. Like I've never been, they just seized up and I had to just manipulate the entire training session. It just makes you appreciate like, wow, (laughs) what you're used to recovering from. But uh, yeah, I, I know that I was able to bounce back from that quite quickly. What, what about you, Jack? You didn't experience any soreness? Just, I think just the usual amount of soreness. I think, mm. yeah, I, all the sessions that I did while away were, were to a high intensity. Like I didn't really scale back on the intensity. So I think that prepared me quite nicely. Are you um, calling me out here saying that I went easy? No, not necessarily. I think your <laughs> glute volume though is very, very high. It is. Yeah, I don't have any muscle group that is as high as your glute volume. Mm, yeah, that's true. But hey, I, I'd say it's starting to pay off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Building a bit of density back there and some nice shape, I'd hope. Uh, 
but yeah, it, that bat, that next week back, everything fell into place, which is good. And I think in terms of strength wise, right? Like I know that my upper body strength, really that first week back was right there with standard numbers that I left off from for compounds and isolations. It's more so just the lower body stuff. It actually took me about three weeks to almost mentally ease back into some of my top set weights for things like lunges and RDLs and Bulgarians. I just, I felt like I wasn't quite ready, maybe even like systemically or from a central nervous system standpoint to like have that load on my body quite again. Like each week I took quite an assertive jump, but like anywhere between about like five to 10 kilos each week before I got back to where I was about three weeks back into our normal rhythm. Mm. Yeah, it took me a, a few weeks as well. And it does make me question like, where whether like that amount of work is actually enough to maintain because i think maintenance obviously depends on the optimality of someone's routine how hard they train and how well they recover while they're in their usual routine and we've thrown around that number before of like one ninth Mm. is what's required and we were doing more than one ninth we were doing more like one six or even (laughs) one third yeah sorry a third yeah a third which is much more than one ninth so and i would argue that what we were doing over there wasn't enough to maintain my physique like retrospectively i know i think in in our first episode back and what i've said on instagram like maybe i i can't remember exactly but i think i said that it was enough to maintain Mm. but upon coming back and sort of assessing things and looking at it now like i wouldn't say it was enough to maintain my physique Mm. which is interesting i I think honestly, from a physical perspective myself, I looked very, very similar. And again, like strength wise, even for lower body isolation stuff and a few compounds like hip thrusts and stuff, again, I was able to just go right back into my normal working weights with still a high level of intensity. It was more so just mentally getting myself under like a really heavy Smith machine for a lunge again. I'm like, okay, during the holiday, I've been doing this like, you know, with just 80 kilos or so. And even out of actually six training sessions, I did lunges on five of those. (laughs) So it's still certainly a movement pattern that I was accustomed to, but using different Smiths and different weights, like I left off at 105 and I was using around 80 kilos on Mm -hmm. our holiday. But I I think personally, when I compare my check-in photos and everything, mine was very, very similar. Maybe it's because I lost a bit more weight than you. That's true. And did it bounce back? Because I know that when I came back, I woke up that first morning at 66.4. But I think that was a very artificial weight. Because when I left for the holiday, I was sitting in the low 68. So it was almost like about two kilos down. But within just a few days, that bounced right back up to like the low 68s again. And I think it was very artificial because... During the holiday one, obviously we were training less. So we were just walking around with a bit less of that residual pump, a little bit less inflamed. So probably not retaining as much fluid. Didn't have as high of food volume. We're consuming as many carbohydrates as well. And also we didn't supplement with creatine for almost a month too. And don't really know how much that contributes to weight gain. Not much, long term. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, all those factors combined, I think that led to me having a bit of an artificial scale weight, but then within a few days bouncing right back up by about a kilo and a half or 
closer to two kilos or so. Like one, my physique, it continued to look better as the days went on, as I, again, had more weight on my frame, better glycogen stores, had that residual pump from training as well, just kind of filling out, felt way better, way stronger. So my weight bounced back really quick, but did yours? Uh, it's been about, it's pretty much bounced back as of this week. So mm. it, my rate of gain was high, definitely higher than usual, like roughly, uh, I think a kilo each week or just mm. under a kilo. And now that it's stabilized back at roughly 90 kilos, I'm going to yeah, reduce that back down to one kilo a month, essentially. And I yeah, got roughly five months the rest of this year and five kilos to gain back up to 95. And then, and then pretty much between January and April will be like a pre-prep phase for me. Mm, okay. Well, then that makes sense on your front. If you feel as though you lost legitimate tissue weight because you're caloric demands are so much higher than mine. And I guess it was just hard to reach those every single day from the food we were eating and how much we were expending through walking. Whereas I guess I didn't actually lose, if any, much actual tissue weight. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I'm trying not to think too much about it. Okay. Either yeah. way, we're, we're back after a month and everything's super duper swell now. Are there any movements that you've even surpassed from when you left off previously in terms of performance and strength? Yeah, sure. Some of them. I, I don't really know specifically, like maybe some arm exercises and laterals and nice, but I've, I think it was a really good time to just kind of reassess things, especially my push training, just kind of playing around with exercise selection a bit more exercise execution. I've thrown a few lengthened partials in, for example, especially on push day. And I'm, I'm sort of treating push day a little bit differently because to put it sort of frankly, like what I have been doing hasn't been working, just the traditional way of training push, like just aiming to get stronger and using good range of motion and all that sort of stuff. And AJ and I have, it's not like we've sort of, sort of turned everything upside down, but I certainly am employing some different techniques and almost chasing sensation and soreness a little bit more than what I would usually do. Jack Radford Smith, <laughs> are you saying that Feeling the working muscle is actually important. <laughs> yes. I like that. <laughs> well, I I like how uh, I won't uh, say that I said it like this. I'll, DC said it on Bodybuilding Down Under, but he essentially, I kind of have coined this off him now that really the, the lower amount of reps that you do and mm. the more compound-esque a movement is, chances are you're not going to feel it as much as a higher rep range or or a accessory based movement. Mm. Like, no, I would totally agree with that. Mm, like even the example of squats, like if you do five reps on squats compared to 20 reps on squats, mm. like chances are the pump is, and the lactic acid is probably gonna make you stop that set mm. before maybe you, your strength gives out. Yeah, I would almost say that the heavier you're going and the lower rep range chronically, you'll, you perhaps will feel it a bit more, but acutely, like in the actual moment when you are in that set, I would almost say like it would in a sense maybe be distracting from you actually performing at your highest. Like if you were doing, I know that when I do my lunges, like let's say if I do a top set of just six reps, I purposely try to desensitize myself from pushing the weight with my glutes and with my quads. And I purely just almost focus on doing the movement and just counting the reps. Cause I have to trust. I'm like, 
this past week, I actually surpassed a previous PB. Previously, I was doing like 105 kilos, but this week I actually touched 107.5 kilograms for the first time in my life. And I got a top set of six and it felt freaking phenomenal considering I've been doing that movement since like 2017, basically programming it weekly. And uh, I still reflect back on the days when I struggled to lift even 50 kilograms and now doing well over double that it feels amazing to be honest like it's um it's just incredible but what it feels awesome but at the same time i reflect back i'm like you know what every single time i've gone up by a rep or by 2.5 kilos it's always felt relatively just as difficult but also relatively just as celebratory because it's just it's self-improvement and like you can never get tired of that stuff mm. <laughs> um but anyway uh, when I did that set this past week and whatever I do, my lunging sets, like I purposely, I'm like, I'm not going to focus on like just what I'm feeling in my quads and my glutes right now, because I have to trust that doing this movement, like what the hell else is being recruited other than like my heart. <laughs> Again, I'd say in the moment, I don't feel those muscle groups, but boy, oh boy, the day and two after I'm like, yikes, I definitely worked to those areas. Yeah, I think people might get the wrong message from that though. I think how I would describe it is you want your execution of that movement to be a reflection mm. of which muscles are being targeted. So mm. there's multiple ways of doing a lunge. Like for example, if someone did a lunge and utilized a lot of knee flexion, then it's probably going to be more quad based than mm. compared to like a longer stance, which is going to be more glute dominant mm. so really just depends on how you execute that mm, yeah mm. well i think you could obviously assess your execution by like filming yourself or having someone else watch you and everything of that nature but it's obviously it's the case of like yes you're standardizing execution range of motion but like in the moment you're not purely just focusing on or i'd almost argue like distracting yourself with the sensation side of things just mm. trust that yeah you should be focusing on execution instead yeah and eventually execution will get to a point where you don't have to think about that either mm -hmm. but definitely in the early phases of a of a movement i would be focusing more on execution and then execution then should then be a byproduct mm. of where you feel it per se i think as you become more skilled with a movement pattern once again it's just that it's almost that 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 trust in yourself for you know just it's kind of that reassurance that i've done this movement over a thousand times in my life it's a skill for me and whenever I perform, obviously I'm recruiting the necessary muscle groups that I'm trying to grow. But then when you're first learning to do something, yeah, obviously you've got to be hyper-focused on exactly what you're doing. That will also help you establish, is this actually a good movement for me in the first place to be targeting this area? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's a long-winded answer to a question I don't know that we began with. <laughs> but either way, training's going really well for you and I both, which is awesome. And uh, uh, back in the routine of everything. So yeah, where did you say, Jack, that you're sitting right now with body weight and food? So roughly 90 kilos at the moment. And my food is, I think, around about 4,100 calories. So mm. in a, yeah, in a fairly comfortable position appetite-wise and... Hopefully it's, I think inevitably I probably will hit a bit of a wall again at 93 would be my prediction. And then 93 to 95 will be quite difficult, but it's just part of bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But you and I have both now been in this 
very productive improvement season for 27 months, 27 months, just like that. That's when we finished our road to 2021 series. Isn't that wild? But you know, we've made our actions match our words and we've just carried on. And I think that it's certainly paid off, but I know for myself, like prep is actually just around the bend and for you, it's still a few months away, but what about closer to a year than a few months, <laughs> about eight or nine months. Yep. Yeah, until you'll actually kick off. But you and AJ might be having like a pre-prep phase prior to that or something. Yeah, we definitely will be now. Mm. Yeah. Considering how quickly I've caught up in body weight. So mm. yeah, that'll commence in roughly January. So mm. I think I won't allude to too much now. I think wait and have some uh, exciting content for maybe future episodes. But I think more exciting with me is more so just looking forward to season B. I've got to clients who are who are looking great um roughly seven and nine weeks out i think Mm -hmm. so ian and chris ian will be doing bodybuilding and classic and this is his second time competing and basically he competed men's physique last time we're doing bodybuilding and classic so we've managed to do a really productive off season together and uh build up his lower body quite significantly his his lower body to be honest is probably actually better than more developed than his upper now which is crazy and yeah, very much looking forward to seeing how, um, how he looks on stage. Mm. Yeah. Ian is looking awesome. It's been really cool to see you guys teeing up, you know, every couple weeks at Riggs gym on the weekend for some posing and really impressive that he's obviously come from men's physique to now first timer in bodybuilding and classic. And didn't mm. you say you've taught him everything with posing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so a good posing teacher for sure because you know i i'm not gonna blow smoke up your butt or anything this is just credit where it's due you're a very good poser you know it's just it's a natural skill for you and i'm just in such awe because it's such the opposite for me i'm like i've just got two left feet you know like i don't have any sort of dancing background to make my posing look any what somewhat smooth or graceful i've just got to work my flip and butt off and even then still doesn't look nearly as good as someone like you like mm-hmm. yeah i mean i disagree with that but thank you for the compliment <laughs> just check out the uh, the youtube videos of jack doing doing his thing up on that stage but no you're obviously a very good poser but a very good posing teacher because uh ian's posing really really well mm. Mm. yeah I'm, I'm definitely better teacher at bodybuilding or classic like i i'm honest with my men's physique clients that it's not my forte mm. um i can teach it but i think i think in-person teaching for posing will always trump online teaching at mm. least in my opinion mm-hmm. um and yeah my other client is chris who he'll, we, he'll be doing men's physique and yeah chris is looking uh looking very very solid at his first time competing and you wouldn't think it because he's looking in tip-top shape mm. and very impressed by how much he's changed in the prep alone like we did again a solid building phase and a mini cut or two and he's uh just been acing it like mm. his his mentality is on point yeah and both of these guys are you know under some other people's eyes who aren't necessarily chasing that like top tier pro level conditioning you know people would look at them and be like smack a tan on these dudes get them on stage because like they are looking really pristine at you mm. know seven weeks out or I could think Chris is nine weeks out from his very first show, yeah. but it's a, it's a privileged position to be in. You'd rather be in that position where it's like ready early cruising into the shows opposed to just racing toward the finish mm. line. And I think that's the way bodybuilding's really going. People are starting to get the hint now where it's like 
push hard at the start and then coast into your show rather than, you know, take it easy for those first 10 to 12 weeks of prep and then put your foot to the pedal. Like, ah, oh God, the body is well, so think... much more resilient to handling a larger caloric deficit, more output when you've got a bit more body fat on you, even though your motivation levels might not be quite as high six months out from a show compared to six weeks, like just a smarter mm. thing to do. Yeah, I think what you said there about ready early, like uh, I think some might say that if you're ready early, then you've also missed the mark because mm. you're you're literally peaking, you're, mm. you're, you're bringing your best package before it's actually happened. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe ready early isn't the right phrase to use. It's more so we're still going to be ready exactly on time, but mm. we're not going to be rushing towards the finish line, if that makes sense. Mm. I guess, sorry, what I meant by that is, again... There's, there's tiers to this. There's standards, right? They are certainly in shape to be stage. Mm. Re- they're stage ready. But again, they're yeah. just right about to hit that point where it's like, okay, uh, this is pro level conditioning sort of thing, which you can only hold for a very, very finite amount of time. Mm. But they're certainly they're in acceptable shape to get on a stage and hold their own probably like any day of the week. <laughs> Yeah. Again, compliment to all you guys. Thank you. How have you been going there? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're in July right now. And uh, like I alluded to before, just about to start prep just around the bend. So had a consult with Joey a few weeks ago, just a touch base kind of post-holiday, take some skin folds and just getting a rough plan in place for moving forward for prep next year. Because I've alluded to this on a previous podcast and once it's all set in stone and you know the dates are finalized and stuff, I can go into more detail, but we'll be taking a slightly less conventional approach to my prep in the sense of doing it in two chunks. So right now we've kind of drafted to actually be doing two dieting phases. The initial one will start around September, so run around September through October, maybe early November. But starting off my prep around that 69 kilogram mark, and then across those two months, dieting down to around 63 kilograms, and then purposely holding me in a maintenance phase with just, you know, a buffer zone for my body weight by like, let's say 500 grams, 800 grams, whatever it may be, given like just natural fluctuations throughout around November through December. And then finishing off the prep, going from around that 63 kilo mark leading into April and then getting down to my predicted stage weight, which is going to be around 57 to 58 kilograms, whatever it needs to be. Hell, if it needs to be 55 for me to be in top tier conditioning, whatever it takes, or if it's going to be 59, wherever I land. But doing my prep in those two chunks, I'm really excited for it because again, it's, it's not necessarily a conventional approach, but I personally think that what I've learned about my own physique over the past number of years, undertaking multiple preps, multiple dieting phases is that I don't respond super duper well to just a really chronic long stint of dieting. I think that toward the end, particularly, I just start. Does anyone there? Yeah. Again. And that's the thing. I'm excited to be a Guinea pig in this sense. And like, who knows? Maybe things will change for the way that other people start to approach their preps in future. In the case of why do it all at once? Why not break it up into chunks? But I also think it, it takes a certain type of individual who one wants to allocate that much time as well to a prep because it is adding on a few months, 
right? And also it's a mindset thing too. And also how comfortable and how disciplined are you and how adherent and your relationship with food and your relationship with your body, are you particularly going to be in that maintenance phase? Because it's all fine and dandy when you say it, but it's really about execution. Like mm. if you diet, we, we've all known people who diet for two months and then it's like, cool, like let's just keep you at maintenance or hold you within this tight buffer zone for the next eight weeks. Things happen and it doesn't always go according to plan. Yeah, but, especially if you compete regularly as well, then this approach probably won't mm. work too well because like there'll be such short times between mm. your prep and then and then the next prep. Mm. But I think that given that you and I have been now in this improvement season for 27 months, which is absolutely wild, and uh, I think it's honestly going to work really well for me and I think it is going to help just deliver my absolute best physique to stage come next April and May as the IFBB shows and the ICN shows run through and hopefully WNBF has a season A show as well because I would love to compete in WNBF bikini. But I think that doing that first dieting phase, having a two month maintenance period where I can obviously rejuvenate myself, get more calories back into me, bring training performance back up even higher. It's just going to deliver an even better look. And then obviously going again and finishing the job. So very, very keen for that. Uh, so what prep's probably going to be starting in around just under a month and a half. And and where's nationals for season A is in Rudy Hill. It is. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So I didn't like that venue when I competed there, but it's grown me, grown on me since then. Mm. I think it has a, a better, better vibe. Now that we actually stayed at the Novotel, which I don't know why we didn't do that mm -hmm. for the first two times. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this freaking topic of arm microwaves, man, <laughs> always comes up in conversation. Gosh knows how. But hey, I'm just going to preface Jack and I will book in We're advance. We're going to rent out the, the penthouse suite with, with a microwave in it. <laughs> Yes, we'll pay extra. <laughs> Jesus. No, I think they have like single rooms that have a microwave or whatever. Yeah, the, I don't even know if they have a penthouse. Yeah. But um, well, if people want to sponsor you, then they can rent out the penthouse for you. Or hey, if everyone just wants to chip in and we can all just, you know, bunk in a, in a penthouse in Rudy Hill. How good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it has a microwave. That's just a plus. But yeah. um, I bags using it first. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had to preface that. We will follow the rules. But yeah, a month and a half till prep kicks off this past week, just kind of getting those wheels in motion just to make sure I have that green light to go ahead. I uh, went to the GP and had some annual blood work done and results have already come back and everything's, you know, just well in a normal range, which is really good, like reproductive hormones and, you know, my iron's in a good spot, all that good stuff. So mm. I'm healthy. So yeah. I'm ready to go and mentally more than anything, I am extremely ready to go. I am so ready for this more than any other prep I've ever done in my life, you would hope. But with 27 months under my belt of keeping this vision alive and training extremely hard and taking a number of other phenomenal athletes to stage, I've learned so much. I've had so much time to think about how I just want to handle myself as an athlete for this next prep. and. I'm just so excited to be in it and just mm. uh, just execute it. I just I yeah. just can't wait to put it into action. And um, is the reason why you're at maintenance over December? It's for Christmas, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, I, I have to have a number of calories. You know, for some turkey and potatoes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 
And some cake. Don't, yeah. <laughs> What's those things? Those plum pudding things you're always telling Mince me? Mince pies. Yeah, you still haven't had one of those. No, I haven't. But hey, what better time, right? Yeah. <laughs> nah, I, I, I honestly think that when my head's just so in the game that on Christmas Day, I'll probably still just eat my own food. Regardless if my calories are closer to two and a half thousand. I just... Like, food doesn't really matter to me, man. Like, I'm just, I'm not food focused. I'm so goal focused. Like, I'll eat plain green beans and just goal driven, not food driven. Like, no, I just, I don't. You don't agree with that. I don't care. I, oh, I do agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm goal driven. But, like, food, who, who gives two flying flips? Like, I just, I, I eat it all the I'll time. Ask you that I same talk about it all the time. In, in, um, like, eight months. Yeah, but again, like, I feel like I've just mentally prepared myself to be like, it is what it is. It's going to be what it's going to be. Like hunger, it's just a feeling. Yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but man, <laughs> there's harder things to do in the world than just feel a little bit hungry, especially when you're you not starving. What? Not being lean enough. <laughs> Put that on a billboard. <laughs> uh, but no, things, things are pretty swell right now, uh, I think, for both of us. Hey, over the weekend, though, actually... I flew down to Sydney and I went to the WBFF show with my client, Charlie. She was a first timer and she competed in the bikini division and bikini tall. And that was just such a fun weekend, man. Honestly, I, I love going to shows. I love traveling for shows, but this was actually my first WBFF event. And it was just spectacular, you know, going to so many other shows with different federations and, you know, I admire them all for what they do, but they're, they are obviously all very unique in their own rights but WBFF like there is a reason why WBFF has such a high reputation as a federation and they hold themselves highly all the competitors always have such a good experience you know they're they're just like a family they're a community they're a brand but I loved it it was like so many different opportunities to really show it for everyone no, I definitely don't think it's for everyone. Yeah, I'm just making sure you say that because I think some people do not like WBFF. Yeah, but once again, like I think that each to their own, but at the same time, don't knock it till you try it or maybe don't knock it till you actually experience it. Because yeah, the- I think you should, before you have strong opinions about it, maybe, I don't have strong opinions about it. Like I'm not saying I love mm. it. I'm not saying I don't like it because I haven't even been to a show mm. yet, so... No, but it's in comparison, right, to other federations and stuff. One, you get so many different opportunities to showcase your hard work and interact with other people. Like the whole week is almost kind of centered around the show, especially if people travel for it. So if people fly down to Sydney or go to Sydney, people fly up to the Gold Coast or whatever it may be. But like during the week, a lot of girls, they will book in posing workshops together. And like, it's very close knit. Everyone's really friendly and supportive. The professional athletes come along. Everyone's so helpful. Like they book in a lot of photo shoots and everyone's at this big house with different photographers and you cycle through getting your photos. It does and sound like, quite expensive, doesn't it? Oh, it's, it's definitely expensive. <laughs> it's probably like the most expensive federation to compete with. But once again, like, Every federation's pretty expensive to compete with, to mm. be honest. Um, but at the same time, too, I was even thinking about they have this registration night. So the night before the show, everyone gets really dressed up. They go to the venue. They have an athlete meeting. You get to talk to the other professional athletes. You get to meet other athletes. You get to meet the promoters. Like, it's such a flipping good vibe. And what I loved about that is that in comparison to 
other nights before the show, like you and I, right? Like in the morning, we'll go and get a pump up at a gym. And then in the afternoon, we'll go and get our tans. But at night, everyone's kind of just chilling, laying on a bed, you know, in like a tanning suit, just scrolling through Instagram. But like the night before the show for WBFF, everyone's together, dressed up at this Reggio night, like building up that anticipation and that excitement for the show the next day. Like it's such a good vibe. We need to make our own unofficial night for (laughs) ICN. It would be cool. Like Everyone in our hotel room. Yeah. And it's not like it's super late. They're obviously conscientious that people need to get to bed. So it wraps up around 7.30 or so. Mm. But well, the even, ICN after party. Even the next day, like everyone gets a lot of time on stage. You get an opportunity to be out there in not just your bikini or your trunks, but you get to dress up in like, you know, a suit or your theme wear or whatever it may be. I love it, to be honest. I, I really liked it. And I was like, man, I can envision myself up there in that bikini tall category one day. Especially now that like I'm just really starting to step into a new version of myself with just becoming more confident with my own posing. Like I would love to be up there just free flowing one mm. day. I think it would be so much fun. Yeah, well then do it. Yeah, no, but um, WBFF is freaking awesome. Again, like don't knock it. Again, it's, it's the reason why competitors who compete with WBFF, they always say they have such a good experience. Usually when they go over to the WBFF, it's very rare that they'll then transfer back over to another federation. And also like the professional athletes too, they are so within the federation and they're really good ambassadors for the sport. They get involved with the amateurs. They get involved with the shows. Like it's absolutely fantastic compared to some other federations, you know, where yes, people turn pro, but then you never see them again. They rarely show up to posing workshops. They might never compete again. They never do pro shows. Like they, they never even maybe come to shows. It's uh, it's very strange. And some people will knock it because they're like, well, if it's a physique competition, like, do you know this Jack that out of the mark, only 40% of the mark is your physique. 60% of the mark is actually your marketability, your posing, Mm. your costume, your beauty. So over 50% of it isn't actually your physique on stage, which some people don't like, but I don't know. That's why I personally wouldn't, I don't want to say never, but Mm. like I'm more interested in being judged solely on my physique Mm. and and presentation of my physique. Mm. But it's no secret. The brand doesn't try to hide that, but they are. I think maybe some people say they don't like WBFF because they, they're not aware of maybe Mm. that criteria. Yeah. But also some people just blanket statement it like, oh, you know that they only judge you off your Instagram profile. I'm like, no, that's not what it means. That 60% of your mark is is your freaking Instagram following. No, it's the case that like they are a brand and they want to uphold themselves to a very high reputation. And they're not just marking you on your rig. They're marking you on who are you as a person and how do you actually hold yourself as an athlete? Yes. How do you actually uphold yourself as an athlete? How do you act? How, if you were to be a professional with this federation, like, are you actually going to be a good ambassador for the sport? Are you going to get involved? Like, it's not just your body, it's who you are, which I'm all for it. I love that. And there's certainly other people that love that too. I think there other federations could maybe take little tidbits away from that. (laughs) Wow, you're coming as very uh, pro WBFF. (laughs) 
No, I'm just pro more than just having a good body on a stage and being just rewarded for that. I think that there's a lot of potential in this sport. So it sounds very similar to a pageant then. Because mm. in a pageant, you're based, you're judged off your character and yeah, other again, things. Who you are, how, how you hold yourself. Mm. Like I, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Cool. <laughs> yeah, but again, I don't just. I uh, I'm just more well, sitting I, here enjoying <laughs> you talking because I don't have really any opinions on it. Well, I'll tell you, you weren't at the show on the weekend, but I did have a number of girls asking me, "Hey, do you think Jack would do that one day?" <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I would love to see it. Jack up there in men's fitness, or Jack up there in a suit and like strutting his stuff. Like you've definitely you've got the charisma for it. Mm. I don't know about that. Never but... say never. I guess the other sort of point you haven't made is that it's not drug tested either. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The WBFF is uh, an untested federation, just like IFBB. But obviously there's certain categories within WBFF that certainly you can excel very highly at mm. as a natural athlete. And also the other thing is too, is that they're not going for the most muscular, shredded, veiniest people, particularly in the bikini division. Like that's not the criteria. That's not necessarily what's being rewarded. Yeah, in fitness and figure, like go for your life. But in bikini, again, it's the whole package. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I like it. It's fun. <laughs> and Charlie did amazing, honestly, as her very first show, uh, coming away with a top call out and sixth place amongst like just a sea of bikini girls. Really, really proud of her. And she should be absolutely stoked with just the overall package that she brought and just everything she delivered on the day. It was awesome. And just to keep climbing those ranks in the future. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Cool. Yeah. I think the more I, I am in this bodybuilding industry, the more I realize that age and experience does play a huge role mm -hmm. like it's just so rare to see someone in their first time competing or someone who is young like i can look back on my earlier 20s now and be like okay i was i just needed more time and mm -hmm. sometimes that's why you need to be in this if you want to truly excel then you need to be in it for the long haul you can't just be a one and done absolutely and if, if you just win everything right off the bat one you don't actually learn how to lose with a loss, which can be a very rude awakening for, let's say that there is a person who is as a first timer, you know, great genetics, of course, great work ethic. You can't dismiss that. But if they win everything and then they go into the pro ranks and it's like, well, you're now a little fish in a really big pond and they get smoked. They don't, they've never dealt with a loss before. How are they supposed to deal with that? And they don't truly appreciate it. Right? Like they might, again. Or would you say it's worse if they then go into the pro ranks and then win the pro ranks? Ooh, but how often do we see that happen? <laughs> like a 21 year old, yeah, sure, maybe they smoke a WMBF competition or something, then they go up into a pro rank. No, they're getting smoked by the guys like in their 30s and their 40s. Mm. Yeah. We've seen that. We've seen that happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that more, most importantly, like you really, really appreciate it. But I heard this really good phrase on a podcast the other day. This guy was, he was alluding to Instagram followers and he was also just alluding to having an audience in general, like on a podcast, he's like the audience that you want right now, you're not ready for it. So it's very easy to say, oh, I wish that I had a million people listening to my podcast, or I wish I had a million subscribers on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> but, or, you know, I wish that I had 2 million Instagram followers or something like that's all fine and dandy to say that, but 
Oh, man, let's say that there's a genie that comes out of a freaking bottle and uh, grants you that wish. Are you ready for that? I highly doubt it. So people What does that mean, though? Like, what aren't they ready for? Like, you're not ready for or... it. Yeah. Do you know how overwhelming that would be to have mm. that many people know who you are and they're engaging with you? And yeah, absolutely. Like, that's, that's a lot more eyes on you and that's a lot more opinions about who you are and what mm. you're doing. You are not ready that it's like a first-time bodybuilding competitor who's never even stepped on a stage before and they're like i just i want to go pro and if i don't win and if i don't go pro like i'm just gonna feel so defeated and i'm just gonna feel so upset and i'm like you've never even stepped on a stage before how do you even know if you actually like bodybuilding you're you're not ready to be a professional because that's not even the mindset of a professional to begin with drop the mic All right. Well, I, I know we uh, we kind of alluded to we might get to some questions today, but um, we have been uh, chirping for a while now. But I'm gonna ask one thing, Jack. What have you learned this week? What have I learned, or what do I want to improve on? Oh, I, I'll I'll ask either. What okay. do you want to improve on? Well, I was waiting for that second one just because we uh, I need to catch another Taylor. So <laughs> that's something that I want to improve on. Well, just before this podcast started, we did go to BCF and we did buy some small pilchards and I know that you caught a tailor on a pilchard last time so this afternoon you know tide's perfect it's uh Uh, I wouldn't tide's going out ideally it would be coming in tide's going out in the afternoon the sun's setting pretty good conditions yeah fingers crossed what about (laughs) you there well uh, I prepared for something that I learned this week well, yeah, we can go with that. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, something that I learned this week or something that just, I had a bit of a, like a light bulb moment because you know, when you step out into the sun and it makes you feel really good, I almost always thought that going into the sun made you feel good because it warms you up, right? Having sunshine on your skin, it makes you feel warm, but it is July here in Brisbane, Australia. And yeah, it's not that cold. If anything, this has been the most mild winter ever, but it's brisk. It's a little bit chilly. And obviously I'm not really warm if I'm still out in the sun and I have goosebumps, but it still makes me feel really good. And I had a light bulb moment to say like, it's not just the warmth from the sun that makes you feel good. It's the actual sunshine going onto your skin, which obviously sends signals up to your brain to produce more serotonin, which makes you feel happy and calm. So that's why the sun feels so good. So then that's been even more. Have you confirmed this with evidence though? I confirm this with Google. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Whatever that means. Google scholar, baby. Uh, but that's been a motivator for me to, uh, even in July, right? When we go out for a dog walk or something, you could say the same for anything that you associate pleasure with. Like if you condition yourself to anything, then like, let's say you get, I don't know, from eating or licking a empty spoon. It doesn't have anything on it, but you, cause you condition yourself, like even licking an empty spoon used to have something on it. Yeah. You condition yourself into that so that. Even when you lick, like if you lick an empty spoon, you won't like get anything. You might even get displeasure from it. Whereas if I lick an empty spoon, maybe I get some serotonin release. So like, is it really the sun itself or is it just you've conditioned yourself into that release of serotonin? I I like where you're going with this, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm going to have to say that the sun does make you feel good. And I don't think anyone can deny that. (laughs) 
right? It's literally like biologically ingrained into us as animals, right? Because obviously when you go out in the sun too, you produce more vitamin D and vitamin D helps with your immune system and obviously your cardiovascular system, your bones, your overall health. So going out into the sun, it's actually... But it also gives us melanoma though. Yeah, if you spend too much time out there. But mm. I, I mean, it's a motivator for animals as well to get out into the sun and produce a little bit of vitamin D, including ourselves, so that they're healthier. That works for animals. Yes, I do. Even what about dogs with fur though? Mm, if they get their snouts exposed. <laughs> we took our dog to the vet once and they're like, oh, you know, she's a, she's a sun baker. <laughs> you got to watch out for that snout. It's getting a bit pink. But anyway... I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is that I'm willing to put up with that little bit of discomfort of being outside in the sun, but on a winter's day and being like, whew, it's a little bit brisk, but this is actually making me feel really happy because I'm producing more serotonin. So there you go. The sun makes you feel really good. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag TBD, and we will catch you next week.